Digital Gonzo, episode 76, dated Sunday the 20th of May 2012, Batman. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. They say he can't be killed. They say he drinks blood. Is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Vicky Vale. Bruce Lane. And what do you do for a living? He's a tired old man. Can't run this city without me. Your luck is about to change. Terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. He's out there right now. I've got to go to work. This episode focuses on one of the biggest box office successes of its age, a milestone in comic book movies, a sea change for the way Hollywood promoted and handled its blockbusters, and the inspirational touchstone for one of the best animated shows of all time, empirically speaking. So no pressure for us to do it justice, then. Back with me are Gotham's big bad district attorney, the two-faced Joshua Garrity of Kane and Rince. Hello there. Emerging squawking from his home in the sewer <laughs> and sporting his customary monocle and jet-propelled duck, it's Neil Taylor from Game Burst and KDS 2.0. I thought you were going to call me Bob, actually, but okay, I'll, t- I'll take being the penguin. Clad entirely in green spandex and throwing out conundrums that even the smartest of us can't fathom, Paul Flying Muttley Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Hi there. Back for more frittering away of his birthday, cold-hearted Jerome McIntosh has promised he won't zap us with his freeze ray. Hello. And joining the boys, final-clad, cream-guzzling diamond fancier Miss Leah Haydu of Game Adult version 2.0. Ooh, I thought I thought you were going to go the Vicky Vale route, but you went the Catwoman route. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm Hell no, I couldn't call you Vicky Vale. Christ, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not grateful. I'm just saying, you know... She's investigative. I think I'm probably going to switch roles around when, uh, when, when Sharon turns up next week because she has a thing for uh, the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. Like, crazy thing. <laughs> okay. So if I don't make her Catwoman, she will scratch me. Scratch your eyes out, literally. Totally. Batman made $411 million on a poultry... Anyone? For the budget? Not clue. $35 yeah. million. Dollars. Jesus! <laughs> That's pathetic by today's standards. Yeah. Compared, oh, yeah. what was Avengers? Two hundred million. Two hundred and twenty million. Well, District Nine was more than that, and that was yeah. considered low budget. So yeah, that's an independent film these days. 
Uh, compared with Batman and Robin, which came only eight years later, cost four times as much and made only $238 million, indicating the law of diminishing returns writ large in the days before Transformers. That's, you know, these days, I don't know how, but the Transformers films are getting progressively worse and making progressively more. Burton approached Sam Hamm, a comic book fan, to write the screenplay. Sam Hamm, comic book fan... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's like a Viz character it does. <laughs> do you get Viz in America? no it's kind of like the British Batman <laughs> okay bullshit <laughs> but funny Ham decided not to use an origin story feeling that flashbacks would be more suitable and that and this is a direct quote unlocking the mystery would become part of the storyline he reasoned you totally destroy your credibility if you show the literal process by which Bruce Wayne becomes Batman hmm hmm <laughs> <laughs> well, we Nolan might have something to say about that but yeah, well, yes. one scene in Ham's script has a young James Gordon on duty the night of the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents when Ham's script was rewritten the scene was deleted and turned up many years later in a different movie. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't want to make James Gordon a character in the Batman films now, would you? Clearly not. No, uh, seriously, uh, we'll talk about this in a bit. But Jesus Christ, Jim Gordon gets short shrift in these four big budget uh, Hollywood blockbuster movies. Yeah, he, he, he. Yeah, uh, <laughs> especially by the end, Batman and Robin. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> When comic book fans found out about Burton directing a film with Michael Keaton starring in the lead role, controversy arose over the tone and direction Batman was going in. Ham explained, They hear Tim Burton's name and they think Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They hear Keaton's name and they think any number of Michael Keaton comedies. You think of the 1960s version of Batman, and it was the complete opposite of our film. We tried to market it with a typical dark and serious tone, but fans didn't believe us. To combat negative reports on the film's production, Batman co-creator Bob Kane was hired as creative consultant. It's always good to get the author on. Almost, I mean, pretty much everything apart from uh, The 13th Warrior, which had Michael Crichton on as creative consultant, who eventually took over directing duties once uh, uh, John McTiernan left. This is Michael Crichton, the writer, not the director. Parallel to the Superman casting, a who's who of Hollywood top stars were considered for the role of Batman, with the likes of Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, oh God, <laughs> Tiger Blood himself, Pierce Brosnan, Tom Selleck, and Bill Murray being considered. Bill, Bill, Bill freaking Murray! I, I don't. I, that doesn't make sense. Any language. <laughs> And it is important to note this, Adam West suggested that he be considered for the well, role of Batman. Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty... I mean, I haven't actually got, I haven't got any essays on Batman. There's a lot to talk about with this film, and I'm just going to go with much more sort of touch points on this, because we, we can go in and out and talk about the creative process, unlike the last film we talked about. Where we so, windbagged a lot. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think we did it justice, nearly as much as it deserved. Okay, first thing that strikes you about this film... Actually, no, the first ever thing that strikes you is Danny Elfman's score. Holy shit, I love that theme, I love that theme, I love that theme. Yes. It's great. Like, um, this is back when uh, knowing that Danny Elfman was going to score your movie, that was, like, a really positive thing. Because now he's kind of... Lazy. He's a bit lazy and boring. He doesn't do hummable scores so much anymore. It's all just... 
But in six notes, he sums up Batman. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's so great, even the animated series uh, riffs off yep. of that soundtrack. And it's great. It's, it feels epic, but it also feels dark, the way Batman should feel. Um, I don't know if it's my favourite, because I actually think I prefer Hans Zimmer's... Um, oh, I fucking love the Zimmer and... Uh, yeah. And, uh, just because it's... Howard score for the... the None of them, so. Yeah, it just has a, a nuance that this soundtrack doesn't have. But it, this also, soundtrack is really the, great. The Nolan film scores are the... Along with the Bourne film scores, the most influential for the past ten years. So many other scores have taken on yeah. properties of those, those tunes. It, it was the first... Um, the opening score for uh, Batman Begins it's not humble when you first listen to it it's just it's almost more like noise but then that kind of has pervaded throughout and so many films now do that back to Danny Elfman so yeah that's what you and you get the Batman symbol in the opening thing which is a really great idea it just it fits with Tim Burton's um, style as well because Tim Burton's vision of Batman is gothic and is dark, but it is quite fantastical as well. It's not like the Nolan film because Nolan's films feel very rooted in the real world. Yeah. Whereas um, Tim Burton's films feel like almost like an opera of you know epic proportions. It's serious, but it's not. It's not real. You could almost imagine that every one of Burton's films takes place in a single place named the Burtonverse. Good and bad. And before we even carry on, Tim Burton has done some fucking shit films. This is not one of them. I only have one word to describe Tim Burton. Overrated. Mm. Well, I wouldn't describe him as overrated. I'd describe him as inconsistent. Yeah. Because yeah. he's all over the place. Yeah. Like, there are some films of his that I genuinely think are great. Like, I love Sweeney Todd. I think mm. Sweeney Todd's yeah. a great film. Superb. But then Big I watch Alison. Heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. And then I watch Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And, and then the biggest of the pieces of Poe I've ever seen. It's just. What what is up with this guy? He's just all over the place. Well, isn't Dark Shadows currently uh, sinking? Oh, good. Please tell me it's going to flop. Because then maybe, just maybe, they'll stop putting fucking Johnny Depp in everything just to make him a financial bullet point. I don't mind Johnny Depp as an actor. He's actually great sometimes. But they're putting him in movies to multiply the amount of money it makes. That's all they're putting him in for. I... Well, you, you've heard my, my rant on Dark Shadows. I love all of your sentences that start, I... Uh, well, I was about to say the Dark Shadows fans hate it. Mm. Well, see, that's the thing. I'm not even a Dark Shadows... It's not even my rant. It's my mother's rant because, you know, my mother is, is of the age where she watched the show growing up and is furious at what they have done to it. Like, the commercials will come on the TV when I'm watching TV with my mother, and she just gets this look on her face like, I'm a cut a bitch. And if you know my mother, <laughs> that is not her. what she's like. She's like the sweetest, happiest person in the well, world. You described her in this very show as Molly Weasley. Exactly! See? And that... Yeah, imagine Molly Weasley getting real pissed off. Kind of like... Not oh, my dark shadows, you bitch! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, she's gonna... She's gonna completely explode Tim Burton if she ever gets the chance, I'd imagine. I think she might, yeah.
Okay, so we're slightly off tangent here. <laughs> Just a little. Back to the, the intro sequence. Um, I've forgotten. It's it's you're journeying around the sort of dark gothic canyons, and it's sort of ding, 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 and it's like you're a vampire bat flying through the night, and then it pulls up, and you've been flying around this massive monolithic Batman symbol. That's a great way to start a movie. And then it proceeds to fake you out. Yeah. 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 It kind of, I don't know, this, you know, if you're a kid going in and you don't know much about how, how, you know, what happened with Batman, it sort of sets up the same scenario as, as how Batman's parents were killed with this poor mugged couple. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much what might have, pretty much tells you what Batman's actually trying to do. Mm. Yeah, if he'd been there for when his parents were killed, mm. this is what, how it would have been. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that I didn't. I, I, I was trying to figure out why it is that I have such a huge irrational love for this movie, and I think that I've kind of, I've pretty much nailed it down to the fact that when I saw this for the first time, I I think that it was probably the first comic book movie that I had seen. Like I I can't come up with anything that I would have seen before that because I didn't see Superman until relatively late oh. uh, for me so I, I, I'm pretty sure this would have been the first one and I think that it it just kind of struck me in that way but I didn't know much because I've I've always been more on the Marvel side of things than the DC side of things so I didn't really know a whole lot about Batman so I'm pretty sure that I missed that parallel the first time around and that's something that you know on repeated watchings I I have picked back up on and can appreciate more but. Yeah, I think I think that kind of went over my head at the time. Mm. Oh, I did mine, but I was nine. Well, that's so, I, I would have I would have been eight. Ten. So um. I think when I was a kid, I tried to rationalise the decor of Gotham City and go and went right. So this is sort of set in the forties. It does have that forties gangster th- yeah. feel to it, and Dick sort of Tracy of, vibe to it. Yeah. That Not weird. Is it? I wouldn't call it a steampunk, but that's you know what I mean. Dark deco, dark deco stuff crack it, and that's the probably the biggest thing from this movie. I love the most. Mm. It's mm. just I love that Gotham is a character in this very much, in a way that it definitely wasn't in the uh, Schumacher ones. Well, nobody oh. was a character in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't get an idea of Gotham as a whole. It still very much feels like a set, but to a kid. You feel like Gotham is there. It, it has a personality. Like it feels it like a like place. It, it also looks like its name, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's gothic, and it's dark. And, it, and one thing that's important to note: <clears throat> campy Batman from the '60s never did anything at night. This Batman never does anything in the daytime. In fact, Batman, Batman never does anything in the daytime. Which leads me to a question: Why don't criminals just do all their crime in daylight hours? Don't make think that hard about it. But I think you are. Seriously, there's some really clever writers writing these comics. The the the, the Nolan films where Joker um, orchestrates that robbery in the um, the the bank in the Dark Knight. Why don't all the criminals? Yeah, do? but I think well, at this something point we mentioned in the Marvel podcast a few weeks ago. Why don't they all just move out of New York? Yeah. I think, though, with Batman, it's more the fact that Batman operates on the night because at that point, and this is the Batman I tend to prefer, is these... No one knows if he's real. Mm. So if he did something during the day and uh, towards the end half of this movie where he does get seen by a lot of people, that sort of takes away some of the mystique. You go, oh, he's real. Whereas 
like the two the two muggers at the start of the movie they're talking about and they, it's sort of like the little urban legends that have sprung up about him yeah. like, oh he threw this guy off this roof which we'll get to later um, <laughs> you know he was completely drained of blood and you look in the background and he just drops down the only problem with that one scene and it's not this movie's fault it's from everything else that's followed it the line I'm Batman I can no longer be taken seriously for me. Alan Partridge. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, Alan Partridge. That I, not in yourself. Well, no, I, you, you have subjected me to Alan Partridge before. Not that particular bit, but um, yes, I, I get the reference. Gotham as a character, uh, debatable, but yes. Go to. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about Keaton's Batman. Um, I like Keaton's Batman. I, I think um, he... It's not really his fault that he can't move his neck in the costume. That's just the costume. I actually think head. he can't move much of anything. Well, yeah. If you look at the fight scenes; they're very carefully they're very choreographed. Stiff, you can't yeah. see anything. Yeah, but like his, he does have a presence to him. Like when he's grabbing the um, the uh, uh, mugger and he's holding him over the edge of the. What are you? That way. Yeah, he he does feel intimidating and he does feel scary as Batman, and he's also equally a really good Bruce Wayne, and he I does a good he... job of um, differentiating. Uh, I can't speak words today. Differentiating. Differentiating the uh, two personas, uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman, um, I, and I like it without I resorting to the. I was going to um, say, I actually think Michael Keaton is the best Bruce Wayne. He may not be the best Batman, but he's, Bruce Wayne feels like a whole complete character. Uh, oh, even better than Bale? I Yeah, I was going to say, I think Christian he's, Bale's a better Bruce Wayne. I think maybe Mike, Michael Keaton's actually a better Batman than Christian Bale, but I ooh. think Christian Bale's a better Bruce Wayne. I said to Sharon yesterday, I don't think anyone's a good Batman in live action even Christian Bale and that struck me because I was like I'd been going oh yeah he's the best Batman I th- when it comes down to it Batman's really really hard to pull off in live action the reason Kevin Conroy is so fucking awesome is because he only has to put his voice into the character mm-hmm. all of the other stuff gets done in animation in either um, Arkham City or, or in the yeah. animated shows because uh, they, they can make because of the limitations especially of the costume in mm. this one you can't have that free-flowing free movement that Batman has, that almost teleporting ability that he seems to have. Yeah, he's supposed to be agile like a ninja, and he's, in this he seems like a giant rubber man. And, and even, in, even in the Bale one, though, he seems kind of awkward, and he doesn't, like, he doesn't move in that fluid way. He's kind of, they do a lot of, sort of camera trickery, so it's like you see a sweeping movement so fast, and he's sort of throwing guys around the place. But when you actually see him on camera, he's still a little bit well, slow. I would say the best bit of Batman Begins that feels like sort of the animated Batman is the, the drug bust he does when he gets Falcone. That mm. feels like it, because you never really see him. He seems to be everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> That was funny. That was I don't good. know. I think I think I might agree with uh, with Keaton being my favorite as Batman. I think what I really like about him is Bruce Wayne, though, and this this kind of runs contrary. Well, well I don't know if it runs contrary to the comics, but it's it's. Uh, well, you guys tell me. I he seems more like just a guy as Bruce Wayne. Like he seems yeah. more like he's actually kind of jaded to all this stuff and doesn't really take into account the fact that he has all like the the later. Batman, or the later Batmans, the later Bruce Wayne's 
I think almost universally, they have kind of an idea of their status, of who they are, of the fact that they are extremely rich and, you know, have have this position and an obligation as that kind of member of society. Mm. Keaton's Bruce Wayne is more of a... Oh yeah, I've got I've got all this money, you know, but it, it's it's always been there, so he doesn't really have to think about it. So it just kind of it, it's not a thing. Yeah. yeah. Come to think of it, I've never been in this room before. Yeah. yeah exactly. Wayne in this one's very very much a Tim Burton character. You mm-hmm. think? Is the slightly soft, awkward soft social outsider? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he seems kind of bewildered the whole time as well. Like he's not—he's not really working things out. He—he he seems to be more working things out in Batman Returns. But like, there's that bit where the Joker's going, "I have taken off my makeup," and he's staring at the TV, and he knows that Joker's basically saying, "I'm going to fuck up Gotham tonight." And regular Batman would just be like, gritting his teeth and grinding his fists and going, "Not my watch." But um, Keaton's just sort of, hmm. Oh, oof. wonder what we're going to do about this now. I guess we'll better go get the bat wing out, blow the dust off that thing. It's 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 like he's not getting into it, but that doesn't. Necess- it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like he's separated his two personas. Yeah, it does. It, it, the portrayal here does feel like it's split. Per- Maybe split personalities isn't quite right, but it is separate personalities. Bruce Wayne's huh. one thing, and the the Batman is the other thing. It's true. I think um, Bale makes his Bruce Wayne so intense, especially when he's privately talking to Alfred, that that he has to go that intense for Batman, because otherwise you're like, well, that's just Bruce Wayne, isn't it? He has to go, I'm super intense and angry about I actually think when, when it's just Alfred and um, Bruce Wayne in the Nolan movies, that isn't Bruce Wayne. I think that is Batman, if you know yeah. what I mean. It's Batman without the cowl on. Because the idea being that Bruce is basically the mask that he wears and... and uh, yeah, we'll talk about that for the, the Nolan films, but the the idea that the Bruce that everyone knows is just a front. Um, the, the, the split identity uh, perception <coughs> is really hard to do because like Superman has the same problem. I don't think Clark Kent became an actual relatable character until, and I'm going to get shot for this, I think, the Lois and Clark Superman. I shoot you! You know what I mean? Clark Kent felt more of a character in that, and Superman felt like the mask, whereas... It's a really awkward thing to portray these dual identities. It's coming back to that thing that Bill said at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2. Okay. <clears throat> Speaking of masks people wear, Nicholson's Joker. This was the the big one. Nicholson had secured this role before even Tim Burton was on board. This was the huge one. Everyone was going to see Jack. Because the thing is, Jack Nicholson, before he puts on an ounce of makeup, looks like you'd imagine the Joker. He's got that mouth and that grin and that demeanour. And until, uh, well, it actually didn't take that long at all for Mark Hamill to come along and give us a, a, a different take on Joker to actually, you know, and it, I, I believe fully surpasses Nicholson's overacting. Um, but he got audiences in bed with the Joker. I see. I think Nicholson is brilliant as the Joker. I really yeah. Am. I was going to say. I I, re- I don't think he's as good as Mark Hamill or mm. as good as Heath Ledger. Mm. But I think this is a very good interpretation of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, for me, he he because the Joker, the key to a great Joker is getting the balance right between being funny and scary. Mm. And I believe there are scenes where Jack Nicholson's portrayal is quite 
funny and hilarious, but also scenes that are genuinely quite chilling. I mean, the scene where he's talking to that um, dead dead body in the chair, uh, mm. the where he's just... You're like, a cold-hearted son of a bitch. I'm glad you're dead. That was chilling. That mm. was kind of creepy. And that's what you need to get right. And sure, I think there have been portrayals that have surpassed him. But at that point in time, that was the best Joker we had. Um, there Indeed. haven't been that many Jokers since him which haven't surpassed him. Uh, it, it's debatable John DiMaggio's not as uh, compelling. Um, who else is there? Dude from The Batman. No, he's I, the dude. I, I won't. I, I definitely won't dispute that, um, that either Mark Hamill or uh, Heath Ledger have just better performances. But I also, on some level, don't think that it's that it's really fair to directly compare them. I mean, you have to directly compare them because it's the same general role, but they take such completely different spins on it. Like mm. just to take um, to take Ledger's Joker, for example, he's clinically insane. Like, and that's not to say that Nicholson's Joker isn't, but he's insane in a very different way. He's very calculating. He he has a logic to him. There's no logic to Ledger's Batman. He just wants to watch the world burn, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, it's a different kind of insanity to me. It's more chaotic. Well, each each Joker is perfect for the world they're inhabiting. Yes. Mark Hamill's yes. Joker is perfect for the animated series. Heath Ledger's Joker is perfect for the Nolan films. And Jack also Hicks. Mark Hamill's Joker adapted into uh, Arkham Asylum yeah. is more twisted. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson works in Tim Burton's very fantastical, big, epic, opera version of Batman. So, yeah, I like him. I think he's good. And there are, there are some scenes that are quite... Like, I love the uh, TV commercial he has where mm. he's yeah. advertising oh, the smiley He screen. don't look happy. <laughs> he's right. using Brand X. Yeah, uh, you know what? Massively, massively quotable. Almost everything he says in this film, once he's the Joker, is massively quotable. I found myself talking along with him the whole time. Like, you know, this town needs an enema. And almost everything he says, it's not that it's a brilliant line, it's just delivered with such kind of like Jack Nicholson just turning up and just having a whale of a time, uh, which is fun to watch. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> which doesn't make sense, but oh well, it's a cool line. And the, the unmasking scene's brilliant. Where you see it all from the back and peeling the bandages off. Mm, that's classic. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Gotham City always brings a smile to my face. Moving freak. Terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. I'm trying to work out, separate things about the Joker from decisions that Burton and company made regarding the film, and they're different. Okay, right sort of twinned in with the Joker actually because a lot of them pertain to him there are many things in this film which a lot of Batman fans are going to find somewhat objectionable would you folks care to list them? 
Can we do the big one then? The one that really gets my goat in. Go for it. Batman doesn't kill people. When does Batman kill people in this? Uh, he kills the Joker. He blows up an entire factory full of the Joker as um, goons. I think that's what did, they refer to. Did they not have parachutes? No. No? Blows up a factory up full of people. <laughs> well, they were evil. Batman doesn't kill. No, completely agree. It's mental that Batman... At the, at the end where um, the Joker... He actually orchestrates the Joker's fall to his death... Yeah. That is so contrary to uh, the Batman's man. He would tr- he would almost die to save Joker's life. He almost it, does it's in pathological. Office. Yeah, it's pathological. He 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 can't let let, let deaths occur on his watch. I and actually, that's, that's key to the character. I just remember I meant to send Alex an article uh, mm-hmm. because early Batman did. Yeah, no, he shot dudes with, uh, with but, his gun. But the, this, article, this sort of like, guy talking about the Genesis for early Batman says, that really wasn't Batman. You know, the original Batman, the whole vengeance story thing wasn't until six months after his creation. Yeah. So sort of the you can sort of make an argument that the early Batman isn't really Batman. He was more like the Shadow. Mm. But all of a sudden in this Tim Burton film, he... I don't know if it's because they wanted to do the darker tone, but you, you obviously you have the factory scene where he, you know the two machine guns pop up out the side of the 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 Batmobile, creates the really really neat hole for him to go through, <laughs> you know, and he does the really bad CGI shield and then drops these little round balls and then we cut to outside and things exploding. How things explode? I yeah. did read somewhere earlier on. Um, no goons were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, there was a writer's strike uh, um, during the making was, of the yes, film. Yes, and Ham had to. Uh, and the last, it, yeah, yeah, the last third was basically rewritten mm. by script doctors on the, you know, not on the fly, but not the last minute. Not part of the unions, though. Yeah. yeah. So that actually that does stand to reason. So it would also explain why se- several things happen that seem incongruous with the Batman mythos. Maybe they didn't know much about Batman. Like for example, when he's flying the Batwing directly towards the Joker. And he pulls out the machine gun and shoots like, like two miniguns and fires up the street. Mm. What's he trying to do at this point? <laughs> Batman <laughs> wouldn't even have guns in any of his vehicles anyway. No, no, he wouldn't. You're absolutely right. And uh, Neil was talking about like, oh, maybe they were trying to go for a darker tone. That's why the Joker is there. The yeah. Joker is the one who does the fucked up shit. Yeah. Batman is the you know you the deal with incorruptible it. one. Oh, and Sharon said uh, of the Joker when he pulled out that really, really, really long pistol, oh, that yeah. gun is stupid. And yeah. she's right. <laughs> and it that gun wouldn't work. Thing. No. <laughs> I know. It doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't be more accurate or more powerful. It would just be shit. It would just explode in your hand. Okay. Oh. Come on, exploded your hand. You couldn't, you couldn't expect me to pet. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. That, that wasn't sorry. Right, right. You know what? Fuck it. I'm not sorry. Other things that people might object to. Um, Just in have... general, I have one. Yeah, go for it. Um, well, I don't even know if this is necessarily an objection, but this is something that um, I, I, I feel like it fits here to talk about how long it took me after this to realize that um, Billy D. Williams was actually Two Face. Harvey, yeah, goddamn dead. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily an objection because I think that um, yeah, I I think that I, I would have liked to see him as actual Two Face. 
Uh, that was the plan. He was yeah, I know, I know. Back for returns, and then um, he was going to be in the third one. He was going to be the guy that... The, the, the original proxy script called for Two-Face, which is why he's in forever. Right. Uh, and he morphed into... Uh, Tommy well, Jones. Some might say uh, he gender-bended into Tommy Lee Jones. Look at that speak go on. Never, ever going to let it go. Okay, now here's one thing that I find actually really very objectionable because of how it changed public opinion and understanding. When a woman who I worked with, uh, Gap, came back from seeing uh, Batman Begins, she went, oh, not as good as the last one. And she was talking about Batman and Robin. And I immediately started smacking my head against the table over and over again, praying, praying for death. But she then asked, and they got it wrong as well. The Joker killed Batman's parents. Oh, well, yeah. I always try and block no, that one. No, she did not. That was Tim Burton's decision. Yes, it was Joe Kill. Yeah, it was yeah Joe. actually, uh, now that you bring it up, I didn't think about it, but that's actually really crap. Like, yeah. the hu- it's too fucking neat. Yeah, you made you, me. First. The Joker is meant to be. I don't know. I just he is the essence of random crime. He is the yeah. essence of chaos. He is what Bruce is there to stop. Bruce is trying to add order to the chaos of Gotham. He is not a very specific person who created Batman. It just yeah, it doesn't work for that for the relationship they've had in the comic books and you know in later films. It just feels w- wrong for. But that's Joker to be directly involved that's in the that. case, though. I, I, for a long time, I thought that. I honestly did. So mm. it's forgivable. This. It's, it's it's just put across in such a well. That's what actually happened. Why the, the only ex- sort of thing you could say is maybe the other guy who is unnamed even in the credits could have been Joe Chill. No, it's not good enough. It no. wasn't the Joker what done it. No. Uh, also, why didn't they get Christian Slater to play young Joker? That would have been awesome. <laughs> See you around, kid. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? I said I was going to quote this guy from the forums, and I'm going to be true to my word. And this is from Scythe. 
I move that the Burton Batman films be removed from this list. This is a list of vote for your favourite ba- three Batman films on the forums uh, for not actually being Batman films. Okay, that's probably unfair, but many Burton films and more Batman comics later, all I can see in them anymore is all of Tim's quirks rammed into a superhero movie at the expense of decent storytelling. He wasn't even trying to make his own version of an established character here. He just wanted the costumes to play with. My immediate response to this was, if we take off Burton's, which have received massive votes, I might add, for not being Batman films, then we have to take off Schumacher's for not even being films. Just a farcical (laughs) Batman-themed Mardi Gras, which they are. Um, So, I mean, you guys want to debate this one and say Batman aren't Batman films? What I said on the forum is that regardless of intent, a good film is a good film. And... Tim Burton's Batman film, whatever his intentions were when he was making that film, it's a good product, and I like it. Um, and so it shouldn't matter. Like, you know what? You know what? Nolan's films are very, 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 very different from the comic book portrayals of those characters. True. Like, the Joker, you know, his skin isn't bleached white, you know? and stuff like that he wasn't dropped into a vat of chemicals he's uh, just a man objection your honour <laughs> uh, there's never been a concrete definitive origin Nobody story knows. for the Joker okay sorry I'm uh, yeah sorry I'm assuming that the animated series yeah oh Alan Moore did something like that for the killing joke didn't he he was dropped into a vat of chemicals that's what inspired the bit in Batman 89 but it's, it's never actually it's constantly changing that's why in, uh, I don't know how I got these scores that's why he says two different complete origins there's never yeah. like it's part of his insanity he never well it's scarier it. if you can't pin it down to a specific time it's yeah. also a lot scarier if he didn't kill Bruce's parents I think he, but I do think he was called Jack Napier <laughs> I think that's about the only thing that doesn't tend to All change right. um, if, if you're going to say that you discount this for being a Burton movie playing around with the costumes and all the rest of it. It's a yeah. bit like saying, oh, I'm going to ignore the Alan Moore comics because they're very much Alan Moore comics compared to, say, the Frank Miller ones or the Denny Which O'Neill ones. Which are extremely Frank Miller, I might yeah, add. Yeah, yeah. They are. yeah. I mean, Frank, uh, that, that basically rules out auteurs altogether. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I can see where it's coming from. There's a lot of Burtonism in there. And I'm not a fan of these movies. I, I, I can watch them. I'm not. But it's not a seesaw. It's not like no. Burton at one end, Batman at the other, and the more Burton it is, the less Batman it is. It's, they're, they're not diametrically opposed opposites. No, what's no. the point of ever giving any property to any director if you don't want them to put some kind of personal stamp on it? And granted, yeah. this is a pretty big personal stamp, but I still I don't think that that disqualifies it at all. I can see why they chose Burton, because of his sort of style. I don't think it... I personally don't think it suits Batman, but again, that's my personal taste. I don't think they are... Burton playing with it it's just Burton putting his stamp on them mm. well I, I, you see I, I'd rather have a director take a property and do his own unique spin on it mm. than have a focus tested mess mm. yeah. that's desperately <clears throat> trying to please Batman everyone Green Lantern uh. well Spider-Man <laughs> 3 <laughs> Spider-Man oh, God, in general yeah. Yeah. oh you mean There's Spider-Man the... the musical oh turn off the dog no Mm-hmm. 
Alfred. He's alright. Yeah. He's charming. He's, nice. the, he's the link between these four films. You could imagine that they don't take place in the same universe, but Golf's Alfred and also the guy who plays Gordon is there, making you go, yep, it's all the same universe. Shit. You know, he, he is, he, you know, because he is that mainstay. I mean, it's hard to think of anyone else in that role. I mean, yeah, we now have um, Michael Caine doing it, but I, 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 I'm sorry, I think the best Alfred still goes to the animated series. Yeah, Actually, yeah. in general, most things go to the animated series. Yeah. Well, they had really? they had hours and hours and hours and hours of characterization yeah, at their disposal. Exactly. Um, well, I, I really like Michael Caine's Alfred. But I also really like Michael Caine's Alfred. I I do prefer it to animated yeah, series, but animated series have has the tops on so many other things. Yeah, but the, you know, the Michael Caine Alfred just just turns up and goes, "Yeah, hi, Christian. I'm going to steal your scene now." <laughs> I'm stealing every scene I'm in. The Lamborghini, then. Yes, well, yeah, less conspicuous. I don't know. I, I, I think that I, and, and I think this is another function of just this being the probably the first uh, comic book movie that I really saw was I, I really associate Michael Goff with Alfred, and, mm, and that's yeah, not to I say that too. I don't that I don't like Michael Caine or the animated series uh, Alfred, but I, I, he, he really kind of sticks in my head. He's a very sweet old man that, you know, as a kid you can immediately warm to, and he's sort of the, the way to liking Bruce, is because if, if Alfred looks after him, then we can warm to Bruce through Alfred. Right. And uh, just specifically for him, just he's, through all the Batman movies that have been done, he's the character who's the most consistent, isn't he? Just he, yeah. he, I mean, he's the one that you see the most as the same actor and the same character. So when he's is he dying in Batman and Robin, he's the only yeah. character you give a fuck. Yeah, why would you even care if Batman was dying at that point? Because it's George Clooney. Yeah. Who cares? Imagine if at the end of Batman and Robin, Batman had died. <laughs> yes! <laughs> okay. Good. You know, by that point, I might have been okay with it. <laughs> well, that's done then. I'm off. Bane, you fool! Okay, right. That wasn't Bane. That, that, that wasn't Bane, was it? That was just some poncy, twatty wrestler pretending to be Bane. Going, ooh, ooh. There's one bit where Bruce says something along the lines of, uh, I need you to you know, pull up a file on, on this person and then you know, go on a fact-finding mission for me. Dude, this is <laughs> washing your socks and making you vichyssoir and making sure that you don't starve to death. Do your own fucking fact-finding, you rich bastard! I'm more thinking, don't you have the back computer for that? Yeah. You no, no, 1989 also, was kind of before the internet, remember? <laughs> also, he's meant to be the world's greatest detective. Yeah. Yeah. Sending Alfred off on his fucking lazy butt. What, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm attending a gala luncheon. Oh, that'd be why. <laughs> the, the real backstory here is that Alfred is actually Batman without that... Um, <laughs> 
I'm Batman. <laughs> nope, that line just can't be taken seriously anymore. <laughs> um, Vicky Vale, anyone? Nah. Very, very 80s. This this film is very, very 80s. Everyone's got shoulder yeah. pads, grace, shark skin. <laughs> she, she's also that, that really annoying sort of female character that needs to be rescued. Mm, needs to have everything yeah. explained to her. Yeah. Where did you get the camera from, by the way? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that camera was too big for her to be carrying around in that bag. I'm sorry. How much do you weigh? With or without the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, how how tall how tall is is Kim Basinger? anybody anybody know approximately? Is she is she a tall lady? Yeah, Sharon says something like the fact that, that she yeah, because one hundred and eight bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so she must have hollow bones or something. Yeah. She's a bird. She's part bird. <laughs> well, Hollywood starlets are out of so they probably don't weigh out. But I mean, she doesn't look. I mean, she's. She's a reasonably proportioned person, you know? Yeah, she's not super skinny. She yeah. looks normal. So. So, Batman should have said, Bullshit, 108. Yes! Yes! He's in power. Okay, so, Sidney Knox has a character. You know that bit where he goes, If you're going to take pictures of me nude, you're going to need a long lens. That implies. His penis is very, very small. Small. I know. I thought that. I'm a photographer. <laughs> Seriously? You, you've never done photography, have you, Knox? I just think this is a weird movie to me. It feels long, it moves slow, and a lot of the other characters are just, like, forgettable. Mm. What's the but, point of Bob? Someone explain this to me. Poor Bob. He's just trying to help. And the Joker shoots him. Good. Couldn't the Joker shoot himself. <laughs> I, I had a particular affinity for Bob the Goon because I had a Bob the Goon figure. Mind you, to be fair, there wasn't any Harley Quinn to be a foil, so... Mm. Yeah, no, I was Yeah, I was thinking that. that he Bob the Goon exists so that the Joker's not just talking to himself all yeah. the time. Which is uh, now filled by Harley. Yeah. He's effectively Otis, but not quite so bumbling. And, and yeah, Harley is the, the, the character version of Bob the Goon. people. Maybe we, uh, we give them a couple of days to think it over. No. Reason now.
Twitter. Oh, Prince, you expensive twat. <laughs> that that might have been my favorite, uh, my, my most proud cover band moment ever. Which is, what was that? Just expensive twat the is expensive a Prince twat cover is, in fact, band. our Prince cover band, yes. See, I thought it was the artist formerly known as expensive twat. Oh, possibly. I mean, that's, that's our Prince cover band cover band. Right. Uh, we've, I mean, folks, if you live in the UK, apparently not the USA, look for Prince's official video. No! No! For the bat dance. No. You're in the US, then and, thank God. You and, and Party Man, because Jesus Christ was that guy confused. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I want to be Batman, I want to be Joker, I want to be them both so much, I'm going to be them both at the same time. <laughs> I'm actually going to be Two-Face. Yeah, it's like, that's not even the Joker. That's Two-Face. You are. Oh. So, yeah. I, I, I'm just going to check see how much Prince asked for for this, but I'd imagine quite a lot. Because he did the Batman soundtrack, which, by the way, is fuck all to do with the film. And goddamn terrible. Yeah, I mean, what's that song at the end? I don't know, the moment the credits started, I turned off. Something like that, yeah. But, I mean, these four Batman films have a history of having entirely fucking unrelated music tied to them. Like, they had R. Kelly... Um, for Batman and Robin <laughs> and the god awful U2 song in Batman Forever and I think the only good one actually is Face to Face by Susie and the Banshees in um, Batman Returns but dude what about Seal oh yeah Seal <laughs> I do quite like that one but uh, yeah so it's so often it's, it's yeah so but the soundtrack time. the soundtrack stuff shows you how the studios actually at the time and probably quite uh, still do especially Warner Brothers feel about comic book movies they don't take them seriously they take them as money as cash cows there's yeah. no other way to explain something as bad as Green Lantern there was no care put into that movie there was no soundtrack for that film that's what went wrong I mean, the person who really made out money-wise on this one was Nicholson. Jackson. Yeah, he, he yeah. required a percentage of the gross. And made himself $60 million. $60 fucking wow. million. Dollars. To date, because he's still making money off it. Seriously? From DVDs and Blu-ray residuals. Yep. Every time there's a new format, Jack makes out. Great, now I regret buying the goddamn DVDs. There's a reason why I was quiet about Jack Nicholson. I don't, like, I don't like Jack Nicholson at all. Oh, why? What? As a person. I don't like it. I don't like his acting. I don't like his... Did he hit trilogy. a cat with his... Did he <laughs> kill your parents or something? Well, no, sorry. That was... Uh, <laughs> I'm bad, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't get the Jack Nicholson thing. I, I, I don't. It just blows my mind. I've never seen any... No, I take it back. I've seen one film I like with Jack Nicholson. No, I hate The Shining. Okay, you seen one fly flies over the cookies, and that's the one movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. What about a few good men? Sharon's about to drive to Nottingham and smack. I'll stick the kettle on. I'm sorry, I don't like Jack Nicholson. If I see he's in the movie, he's just that actor that makes me go. Oh. Listen, I just. 
I, I can't. I'm sorry. The Shining is my favorite horror movie. I can't respect you anymore. <laughs> See, that's that's not actually Jack Nicholson. That's two of my things I don't like. I don't like Cooper either. What? what? Oh, what? Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're making enemies every second. I'm uh, I'll, I'll stand with Neil on the cube. I'm Apart from The Shining and the first half of Full Metal Jacket. But Space Odyssey. Oh, in 2001. Space Odyssey is pretentious twaddle. On a side oh, note, Batman. <laughs> Tim Burton hired Danny Elfman, his collaborator on Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice, to compose the music score. For inspiration, Elfman was given The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, read this one, it'll scare the shit out of you. Elfman was worried as he had never worked on a production this large in budget and scale. In addition, producer John Peters was skeptical of hiring Elfman, but was later convinced when he heard the opening number. That would convince pretty much anyone. Peters and Peter Goober wanted Prince to write music for the Joker and Michael Jackson to do the romance songs. Elfman would then combine the style of Prince and Jackson's songs together for the entire film score. Why didn't that happen? (laughs) Burton protested the idea, citing, My movies aren't commercial like Top Gun. Fuck you, Tim. (laughs) I give you Alice in Wonderland. Fuck you. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. When did he say this? When did, ter- when did Tim Burton say this? Turd Burton? <laughs> Turd Burton. <laughs> 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 that is his new name. 1989. Uh, it was 1989. Turd Burton said that. Okay, so at that time, I, I you know, I could he let him get away with that Two comment. Two movies? Well, yeah, well, that's what I mean. He could get away with that comment back then. I'm an artist. But... In 2012, as Tim Burton no. said that, you just get a right slap around the face. Elfman and... Ins- <laughs> I love this next line. Elfman enlisted the aid of Oingo Boingo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sentence you don't ever expect to have to say. Led- well, neither do you have to uh, ever expect someone to say, dude, what about Seal? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've said all kinds of things today I have not intended Ooh. to uh, ever say Ooh. in my life. I didn't know this one. Elfman enlisted the help of Oingo Boingo, lead guitarist Steve Bark- uh, Bartek, and Shirley Walker to arrange the composition for the orchestra. Shirley Walker, folks. Anyone? Uh, I should know that, but I don't. Did the score for the animated series. was all her. All of that stuff for Mask of the Phantasm, she scored herself. And well, she's a very talented lady. She is now no longer with us, and that is a goddamn tragedy. Oh, God. Because I would imagine she's probably more compelling these days than Elfman. Elfman was later displeased with the audio mixing of his film score. <laughs> Batman was done in... Elfman is displeased. That was done in England by technicians who didn't care. And the non-caring showed, he stated. I'm not putting down England because they've done gorgeous dubs there. I think he is. But this particular crew elected not to. Batman was one of the first films to spawn two soundtracks. One of them featured songs written by Prince. As Shaun of the Dead said, chuck it. (laughs) (laughs) The other showcased Elfman's score. Both were successful. A compilation of Elfman's opening credits were used in the title sequence theme for Batman the Animated Series, also composed by Shirley Walker. Okay. 
Um, just quickly, an interesting point that I think might be true, but you can edit this out if you find out later it's complete bullshit. But didn't um, Batman, uh, the this film, change the age rating system yes. in the UK? Yes. Um, there had been PG-13 yeah. since um, Temple of Doom. PG-13 was instated for. In America, in the UK, it was basically just all the PG-13s that were too extreme became 15s. All the PG-13s that were, could be cut were cut down to PGs. Batman got a 12 in the cinema, but there was no 12 on uh, video at the time, so it had to get a 15 on video. And Josh will be happy at this because Spider-Man came along and changed the 12 rating to 12A. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think the first 12 on video might actually have been Philadelphia because the sensitivity of the subject matter meant that it, it required more people to be able to see it. So more than just... It, it, it didn't just get a straight 15. So I don't know why they thought, well, 12 in the cinema... I suppose there's no point doing an equivalent on video. Yeah, that is odd. That is very odd. It took years. I'll, I'll double-check that. Paul Shotton, of course, could help us. He, is, he should be working for the BBFC. If anyone from the BBFC is uh, listening, just give me, drop me a line. I will put you in touch with Paul Shotton. He should be working for you. He knows his stuff. Okay. So the other thing that people might find somewhat objectionable... Oh, no, we've already talked about it. Killing the Joker. It's not just that Batman killed the Joker, it's that the Joker shouldn't die. He's to always exist, to be the diametrical opposition to Batman. This is what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force, you know? I thought you said this happens when Tim Burton gets to do a film. Well, no, it's not a Tim Burton thing. I I, I don't think... I'm not sure how Superman did this, but um, most comic book movies have this horrible habit of killing the villain. Uh, let's understand that. Back and back in the Superman films, I think he wasn't in three, although he had originally intended to be. But I think the script was so bad that uh, Gene, so, Gene Wilder went, "Yeah, no, no." Gene Wilder, you always do that whenever we talk about Gene <laughs> Wilder. Hey, would it be more interesting, Lex Luthor? I actually think it might. <laughs> now that you mention it, oh, okay, interesting link. He was in Sh- Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Which is the best film. Which, which is appro- you know, approximately 17 bajillion times better than <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's mathematical working out right there, folks. Yeah, it is. I do like the bit where the Batwing goes up to the moon and then hangs there for a second and then comes back down. That's great model. Like, that, it's a that, wonderful that's, movie. that's an iconic scene, though. Yeah. It's just the bits after that that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, the bell tower and all the walking up and all that what's stuff. The, what's the deal with the bell tower? Why is it every time a villain goes up into a bell tower they have to destroy the bell so it falls back down? Yeah. I, actually, I, I do have one other thing with this movie and it might just be a me thing and you know how I feel about practical effects. I do. Well, does this... The I know people like the look and we've talked about Gotham but it feels like it's all shot on the set. Nothing yeah, really it's, feels it's, real. It's actually on Pinewood, I believe. Yeah, it is Pinewood. It was the most expensive film in Britain, uh, made in Britain at the time. It was, what, it was eight, the thirty-five whole million dollars. Wow. And the, that's the, the marketing between, budget of a small film these days. The link between that and Aliens as well. Yep, I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> Aliens was shot just three years previously. And Pinewood. And when they went to film this, they found the set. They found the alien set. With the eggs and everything. The you egg are set. shitting me. They haven't <laughs> it up. How do you lose that set? It was in um, Battersea Power Station, I think. 
Oh yeah, because yeah, they were. And they, they filmed it there, and they just left it because it was a condemned building anyway. So yeah, because they couldn't drive the um, out of here. They couldn't drive the APC in because the floor couldn't take the weight. If I remember oh, yeah. correctly, yeah, I do remember that. And the set was all still there apparently when they went to film. Could you imagine just being a kid on a dare breaking into Battersea Power Station and finding the freaking alien set? Brown trousers, time or what? <laughs> queen still in the corner going. <laughs> <laughs> not not the alien queen. Queen. Brian <laughs> <laughs> May's hair in the corner. <laughs> Animatronic Freddie Mer- Freddie Mercury. Mercury. <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, anything else on one of the most successful huge films? Well, apparently the people were going nuts over the trailer for this. Now, I've watched this trailer. Compared to something like, I don't know, the trailer for The Avengers, you're just like, (laughs) well, they just sort of cobbled together unfinished bits of stuff and threw it out there. People were apparently paying to go and see movies that had this trailer on playing beforehand and then leaving. I remember the hype. Remember what happened before the internet? <laughs> People were paying $25 oh. on videotapes at conventions. That's crazy. It's a 90 seconds, and it's not that good. I think I'm going to put that. You'll have heard it at the beginning of this show. That's the one I used. Um, weren't most trailers back then kind of crap? Though, yeah. To be uh, honest. Trailers are subjective anyway, because all of them now seem to copy the Transformers stroke Inception style of blinking in something, blinking out to black, then blinking yeah, in something out. Throwing buildings down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, you know, like the Avengers be... trailer. Yeah, even the Avengers, even Mass Effect 3 fell for the whole buildings will be destroyed thing. And actually, the, the one thing that really annoys me about film trailers is when they show you a scene, but they re-edit it to, like, they, they'll show you it moving in just regular motion, and then they'll speed it up, because it's like, look, we get that we've got a limited time on this trailer, we have to, m- to change this pan around to go really, really fast, and it just looks like you folks can't pay attention for more than three seconds. Or, or, or another good one for trailers, I can't, I haven't seen them do this for a while, but they've done it before, yeah. when they put spoilers in the flipping trailer. I can't remember many films where they've done that, but... It has been done. And there there are tons of romantic comedies where they basically tell you the entire plot of the film. Including the run to the airport. Um, Actually, one thing I really hate, especially if it's supposed to be a scary film, and especially if the film is actually of a much higher calibre than this. They even did this for the film The Road, which is a very serious film. When they show you something scary, they go to negative uh, picture for one second and go... So it's like, you know, a a skull on a spike, and they go... And you're like, yeah, but in the film, it's actually not like that. It's like... it's, It's kind of like... An usher, just sort of, you know, just checking to see if you're paying attention by going, Whoa! while you're watching the trailer. See, I think trailers, Okay, it's going to be scary, I get it. Trailers are a fine art, and the best trailers that you tend trailers to find... Trailers can be a fine art. But the best trailers you tend to find are when trailers are actually done by the directors, which nowadays is mm. almost impossible, because trailers are actually farmed out. Mm. Yeah, so... The, Did Nolan do all of his ones for the uh, upcoming Batman The Dark Knight Rises? I'm not sure, but I think he had definitely had a hand in them because they're, the Batman trailers are far too subtle to have been done by a PR department, yeah. if that makes sense. The, well, they no, deliberately hide a lot of the details. They give you yeah. an idea of what's going on, but there's mm. nothing solid for you to grasp onto. So you're like, oh, I wonder what's going on there. It, it's a proper trailer. That's what a trailer should be. Yeah. It's not a car. 
Yeah, that tells you too much. That's the opposite yeah. of, of that. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah that's that a, tells you that thing's going to turn into sort of a battle. Although I will say I was very excited. The the Amazing Spider-Man has got a four minute long trailer, and that is a, I, I I must see that movie now. I wasn't sure before, but I saw that four minute one and went, finally someone got it right. I'm very excited for that film. <laughs> I really like Spider-Man too. That is all I will say. Um, <laughs> I no, I will say that because it's. I'm not saying that the Raimi ones aren't good, but there's certain elements lacking from the Raimis. I like Spider-Man's 1 and 2, but I don't like Tobey Maguire very much, or uh, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, And that's going to play in... We're going to talk about them for the uh, upcoming Gonzo Spider-Man shows, but um, that's something of a handicap for me, for for those films now. Um, Right. Uh, so yeah, no. Just to go back to the the Batman buzz that people were tearing posters out of bus shelters to but take them home. It's kind of crazy. You, are, I, I kind of miss stuff like that when you could get that hype because there wasn't the internet. You know, you couldn't find the trailer easy. And how exciting it was to go to the cinema to see. Mm. You, you would get there early. You wouldn't see. You didn't want the commercials, but there wasn't that many of them back then. But you had to see the trailers. You had to know what was coming. Mm. And I, for the record, my favourite was the teaser for Jurassic Park. Ooh. Oh, what? Well, hang on. That was the thing with the amber and the yeah. and the, the mosquito, wasn't it? That. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what happened. I remember that it was good. I remember, there was actually there was a teaser that was much better than the film. Was the Godzilla one? Remember yeah. there was a kid sort of looking around a museum with a, with a yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah. And she's looking at a T Rex ste- uh, skeleton, and there's a sort of boom sound. And you're like, oh, T Rex coming, and then a giant foot comes in and crushes the T Rex skeleton, and it's like Godzilla size does matter, bitches. And <laughs> then, then the we film watched, turned then, out to suck. Yeah. Then bad. we watched the film and went, that's not Godzilla. No. That's some weird lizard designed by Patrick Totopoulos. <laughs> That's a lot of fish. New and improved Joker products! With a new secret ingredient! Smiley. What is this? Now, let's go over to our blind taste test. Love that Joker. Where's it coming from? I don't know. Uh-oh. You don't look happy. He's been using Brand X. Joker brand. I get a grin again and again. Oh, 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 oh. That luscious tan, those ruby lips and hair color, so natural, only your undertaker knows for sure. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Where can I get these fine new items? Well, that's the gang. Chances are you bought them already. <laughs> Love Joker. So remember, put on a happy face. <laughs> so it was massively, massively popular at the time and hugely pervasive. And like I said, it changed Hollywood because suddenly it became this thing that blockbusters could be now aimed at. Well, blockbusters could happen. I mean, they've, they've done blockbusters before, but to actually make it a big friggin' summer movie, this was huge, this was new, and um, it, it also it gave, it gave comics credibility, because it's like, now suddenly they can be done. And, and, and then, basically, that paved the way for a, a series of shitty Batman films, and then when Spider-Man came out, that reinvigorated the comic book movie market, and to a lesser extent, X-Men. Wasn't X-Men first? 
and to a lesser extent, X-Men. I was going to say, because I would say X-Men did it more than Spider-Man. I think really? Spider-Man came in... I could be wrong. I, might I, be think, I, I think no. X-Men People. and Blade, um, respectively, kind of helped, you know, mm. nudge it towards that. But it was really Spider-Man, Spider-Man where it completely one. exploded. Like, yeah. after Spider-Man, we were getting one every year, weren't we? Like Daredevil and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, Marvel went all out. Hang on. Let me just check the... the, the uh because, I mean, Blade, as we all know, didn't make huge amounts of bank. Uh, X-Men cost $75 million, made $296 million. That is no, not small potatoes. That's pretty good. Uh, let's see. So it's got 296 to beat. And if we're getting into that, that's the one layer. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't actually watch it. I just looked it up because I figured, you know, we're still talking, so I wouldn't watch it right this second, but um, there you go. $821 million. For Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay, so um, that is a, that's, that's the scaling equivalent of Batman for, for sort of the next generation. And I suppose the next one up would have been Dark Knight, really. And, then, night or, and that now Avengers cause I suppose you're pushing that forward to the Avengers I mean there's not that much difference between Avengers and Dark Knight in terms of box office right now is there well put it this way 19 days 1 billion I'm losing that bet you have to hold up your pinky for that one <laughs> I'm losing that bet so badly how, how long did it take for Dark Knight to reach a billion because I don't think it was 19 days was it it was more like I don't know it was uh, a couple of months yeah, I think it was. Uh, cause it, Dark Knight was, uh, I think, sort of word of mouth, because everyone who'd seen Batman Begins went and saw it, but people went, oh, crap, this is something else. Hang on, let me just check the numbers on Batman Begins. Because Batman Begins, because Batman and Robin have been so terrible, it really hurt, you know, people People didn't want to go and see another Batman film. Well, and I- it got $372 million. Which I is a lot, but not... I mean, that, uh, it cost 150 so that's not much more. I remember going... I want to say it might have been one of the Alien Predators. I know I'd gone to the, the premiere seating at Showcase, and this teaser tra- trailer came on, and it was, it was the teaser trailer for Batman Begins. And sat well, there. AVP was 2004, so that would have been about the right time. I think it, I think it was that, but I'm not sure. But I remember the teaser tra- trailer, and it was very unlike the ones before, because you didn't... All of a sudden, about halfway through, I think someone in my crowd went... Shit, it's Batman. Yeah. No, it can't be. And then it was. It was like, oh. Yeah. Because it starts off, he's in Tibet, and he's sort of, you know, talking about, I wandered the the world, looking for vengeance. And then, uh, yeah, turns out it's Batman. Uh, Dark Knight cost, uh, well, took just over a billion, so basically it made three times what uh, Batman Begins did. So I wonder how many people went to see that without having seen Begins at all. I, imagine. I would guess quite a few people because yeah. with Dark Knight as the whole Heath Ledger he died thing, oh, so course, they're yeah. all seeing it, seeing it out of curiosity. Okay, we are somewhat off tangent, but at the same time, it's all we're talking about the the legacy of Batman, the, the eighty nine film. It's this really did change things. And uh, looking at the actual poll, <laughs> let's look at the poll, shall we? I like leave your poll alone. <laughs> I can't. Some interesting results are coming off this poll. <laughs> right. Don't stick your tongue on it. At the moment, and I'll just update you folks uh, all the time as we're, uh, uh, as we're going on this series, because there's going to be um, there's nine more shows after this one. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Uh, Batman the movie, the 66 version, has got one vote from Xanteriad. Uh, um, Batman 89 has got 16% of the votes. Batman Returns, 11%. Mask of the Phantasm, 6%. Batman Begins, 21%. The Dark Knight, 31%. Oh, can we please mention how many Batman Forever and Batman and Robin have got, please? (laughs) Oh, and uh, Return of the Joker has got... Uh, 8.3% and Batman Forever and Batman Robin have got zero (laughs) nothing and Batman Batman Year One has got zero because that's what happens when you don't release it in this country we can't can't give you box office results if you won't bother distributing Warner Brothers I was trying to come up with a way of blaming Jeff Loeb but I just can't (laughs) wrong company Jeff Loeb (laughs) exactly well he wrote The Long Halloween which Followed on from year one, and thus it's Jeff Loeb's fault. <laughs> Can we blame him for Superman in the recent animated movies having eyeliner? Oh my god, I think we can. Yeah, Fuck sure. you, Jeff Loeb. Why not? Fucking <laughs> Jeff Loeb. I don't know. They, they might not cancel it. <laughs> I bet they I will. I don't know because I'm actually. Just an update. I'm actually getting into Earth's Mightiest Heroes the second season. It's getting good. Like I said, I'm really glad. And it is definitely getting good. Uh, recommended, folks. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Now available in a handy Series 1, 1 to 4 disc box set. Or on Netflix. <laughs> or on, are you on Netflix with that? Yes. Oh, cool. Nice. Okay, right. That is it for Batman 1989. Anything that we have to mention, uh, we will talk about next week, where we talk about Batman Returns. Unless I get hold of a Blu-ray player really, really fast, in which case we're doing Aliens. I would like to thank my guests tonight, Joshua Garrity of Kane and Rince. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. He is whip quick, let me tell you, folks. <laughs> the speed of a puma. Neil Taylor of Game Burst. Quack, quack, he's a shit lightning. Actually, do that in the penguin voice. I don't think I can. <laughs> I, I, I'm like you. I don't do impressions because they're all terrible. I do impressions all the time and they're almost all awesome. In your own mind. You okay. In your own mind. <laughs> Keep going on like that. I might not invite you back next week. All right, I'll give you that. that was damn good. Thank you. Uh, birthday boy Jerome McIntosh. Oh, what? And flying Motley Paul Gibson. Thank you. And thank you very much for joining us for the second part. Because uh, this was all in one uh, one session, folks. We did the Batman 66 earlier this evening, and I think we're a little battered out right now. You guys, you guys don't sound tired at all. Yeah. <laughs> we're two, a little punchy. <laughs> two down, nine to go. And that's it for this week. Uh, who, who shall I leave, leave us on? Shall I do Prince with his... Um, Not the bad dance. No, no, do it. Do it. No. Scandalous. Scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> Come closer.